Okay, Peter recovered alcoholic. Um, <clears throat> I have this book, and like many books that I picked up or was suggested to pick up, sometimes they just don't talk to you. And uh, when the time is right, when the ground is fertile, they will. So um, I picked up this book. Uh, a friend was uh, raving about it, and I, I bought it. And um, I tried it several times, and it went nowhere, and I just put it on the shelf and another time. And I've learned that those things happen. So um, I'm in, uh, lying down one night, uh, calling it a night, and um, this book was in now to my dresser. And it was kind of like just calling. And so I opened up the dress and I opened it up. And um, God gave me a page and I began to work with this book. Uh, this is actually a different copy because uh, the original one fell apart. Um, but what's in here, what I got to, what I opened up to, I should say, was this. And I said, okay, God, I'm hearing you. Now, he's not talking about Alcoholics Anonymous, but we will hear Alcoholics Anonymous in this little passage. And he writes this. May I become at all times, both now and forever, a protector for those without protection, a guide for those who have lost their way, a ship for those with oceans to cross, a bridge for those with rivers to cross, a sanctuary for those in danger, a lamp for those without light, a place of refuge for those who lack shelter, and a servant to all in need. And I said, well, that's my AA. That's exactly what we do. Um, the 12th step, the working with others, the not shooting the wounded, the, the, the helping people get well and getting back on a path uh, and, and finding a life in Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, many inspirational books um, that our 11th step tells us encourages us to do, going back to our religious communities, getting involved in prayer, perhaps getting uh, family members involved in prayer, uh, to enhance uh, the gift we've been given and uh, to grow in understanding and effectiveness. The old timers was tell us either growing or you're going, and so I can't stand st still. I can't sit still. Um, the word maintenance in a 10-step has been just butchered to death. Um, a lot of folks think I'm just maintaining, just staying right here, and that's just not healthy. A river that flows is clean, and I need to be clean all the time. And so the maintenance is the care. There's a book by uh, um, uh, Thomas Moore, I think his name is, A Care of the Soul. That's what we're doing in, 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 in maintaining this, taking care of it, not just staying put. Uh, that doesn't allow me to grow. And I need to be fed daily. So step 10 um, has taken on new meaning for me, and step 11 has been taken to taking me to different dimensions of existence I never dreamed possible, different levels of consciousness. And one of the things I've learned is that the sense of who I am doesn't come from mind, it doesn't come from thought, it comes from spirit, which means I need to be aligned with this power called God. I need to be aligned with spirit. I need to experience oneness with God. I'm always one with God, but doesn't mean I'm going to experience oneness with God. There's a feeling of separateness. There's God, there's me and God. 
rather than just God and I'm one with that. It's really, it's I, I'm not disconnected from my own arm. My arm is not disconnected from my hand. It's all one. And it's kind of like that with God. There's a friend of mine on the West Coast that says, we have the God's DNA in us. We're children of God. God doesn't have any stepchildren. And so we get to experience this and nourish it. And 10 and 11 is a great way to, uh, uh, we can talk about 10 and 11 or we can do 10 and 11. And one of the first disciplines that fall by the wayside is um, step 10. Um, I'm sorry, step 11 with meditation. I'm sorry, someone say something? Oh, I thought I heard somebody say something. It must be that hour of the night. Now I'm starting to hear stuff. Um, step 11, uh, first discipline to fall by the wayside. I think I talked about that today or last night, where meditation is non-existent, prayer is kind of praying, but not really praying, not dedicating a devotion. Um, it's just kind of checking in. I become a lousy friend with God. I'm not really listening to God. I'm doing all the talking. It's usually for my benefit, not for anyone else's. I say prayers for other people uh, out of guilt. Uh, I'm not, the intent is not there. And I start to uh, just kind of fall away from experiencing the oneness with God. Step 10 tells me we continue to take personal inventory and continue to set right any new mistakes as we go along. We vigorously commence this way of living. As I cleaned up the past, as I'm cleaning up amends, I'm sliding into step 10. And our book uses words like vigorously, commence, at once, now, next. All words to imply take some action. Nowhere does it say hang out. You did enough work, Pete. You know. It's constantly moving. Um, look at a duck on a pond. They're just kind of just smooth. They're just kind of just moving along the water. If you peek under the water, they're pedaling, they're working, which is what I need to be doing. It says, I've entered the world of the Spirit. Experientially, can I talk, can we talk about what it's like living in a world of the Spirit? There's a neat topic to start, and they won't invite you back, I said the other day or today. Right? What's it like experientially? Can we talk about, if we're here a little while, living in a world of the Spirit? What does that look like? How does that feel? Can I talk to you about that from a place of experience, or do I just recite what the book says, but I have no clue what that feels like, what this other dimension feels like? And this is a place that we go from what we knew to a place that we don't know until we get there. It says, my next function is to grow. I've entered the world of the Spirit. My next function is to grow in understanding and effective. That's a direct order. My next function, my next task the next job is to grow in understanding and effectiveness of what and who, of God. And what am I supposed to do with this? Be an effective agent for God. I can't transmit something I haven't gotten. I will what I do. That's untreated alcoholism. If I'm, if I'm, if I'm spiritually awake, if I'm fit, I have something to give away to help others and bring them ashore. It says this is not an overnight matter. 
Our next function is to grow. Um, this is not an overnight match. You continue for a lifetime. Now it tells me to do some things. Continue to watch for selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, and fear. Uh, we were taught to work with words like turn, watch, aware, and observe. Turn, watch, aware, and observe. Throughout the day, turn in in order to go out. Turn into this power before I do anything. Even in the 11th step, it says when agitate, uh, uh, we pause. I'm not sure. I'm doubtful. Pause. Turn in in order to go out. Turn back to this power. If I don't turn in, I will go without. So I turn. Watch where and observe. These words are interchangeable. Watch. Be open. Be present. How's my speech? How's my actions? Am I listening when I should be talking and vice versa? How am I doing? How am I doing? What's my current experience? Turn, watch, where and observe as I go through the day. It's in order. Am I turning back constant and conscious contact with God? Hmm? It says, continue to watch for selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, and fear. When, not if, but when these crop up, which means they're probably going to crop up. I go to God first. It's my first move. I go to God at once to remove them. So I turn in. Father, I'm experiencing some fear. Father, I'm experiencing some angry, some anger. Allow me to be loving and tolerant towards others. Allow me to be effective agent for you. Let me carry the vision of your will into all my activities. One of the prayers I work with along with surrender is, God, I surrender my will to you. Show me how to carry the vision of your will into all my activities. Protect my soul from being poisoned and remove the hypocrisy from my soul. It says, when these crop up, we ask God at once to remove them. We discuss them with someone immediately and make amends quickly if I've harmed anyone, which means quickly, which means quickly. (laughs) Not like when I'm comfortable. Not when you've suffered enough and I'll come over to you. Can I offer forgiveness for other people? You know, I want to be forgiven immediately if I say, hey, I screwed up. Can you forgive me? I'm expecting you to say, yes, you're forgiven, my child. Immediately, when I go to God, God, please forgive me, I screwed up. I want to be driven clean as anything, made clean as anything. Now, when you come to me for forgiveness... Well, let me let me let me think about this. What did you do to me? Hmm. And then I'll judge your amends if you did it right. I'll definitely give you some feedback, and uh, I'll make you suffer and sweat a little bit. But when the shoe's on the other foot, I don't want discussion. Forgive me, so I can get on with my life. Love and tolerance of others is our code. It says, I turn my thoughts to someone I can help. That could be the person I was just angry with. So step 10 is a 4 through 9 daily review. My walking around, how am I doing? It's a 4 through 9. I have a list, an inventory. I'm discussing it with someone. I'm turning to God about it. I have to make amends. I'm looking at my defects that cropped up. It's a 4 through 9. What I got into was just staying in 10, 11, and 12 forever. Now that works for some folks. And if that works for you, then great. I went into hitting a wall with that because it got flat. I started a flat line, and I needed a whole new experience. 
I needed to do something more than what I was doing. So I'm one of those guys who reworked this. But all the while, while I'm going through 1 through 9 again, I'm still working with 10, 11, and 12. By the time I come out of 9 or start to move out of 9, I'm given more power to move me, to propel me into 10, 11, and get a new, uh, a deeper understanding, a, 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 a deeper experience with this power, a transformation, unlike the one I had prior. And what that does, it doesn't make me a special AA or, or better than. It just makes me more awake to be of service. And quite frankly, guys, this speaking, I mean, so we've, got, we've got some new folks here. I'm not a special AA guy. You know, I'm not gifted. I have a little bit better God than everyone else. That's why I do this. I'm a spoke in a very big wheel. I want to have the spoke clean. I want it to shine. I want it to look right and work properly. But at the end of the day, this is a spoke, me, in a very big wheel. So I need you to work the way you need me to work. Otherwise, we have no wheel in a sense. And that's all this comes down to. And I don't give it lip service when I say, I need you a lot more than you need me. Anyone in this, There's a lot of folks in this room could have done this weekend. There's a million speakers out there coming and do this. I got asked to do it, so I show up. But a spoke in a big wheel, and that keeps me right size as well. And it is kind of relieving, too, to know that um, I don't have to be a spokesman for something as big as God. It just allows me to fit in with the rest of you. The thing about this process in Alcoholics Anonymous is uh, we come here wanting relief. And we want to, we got relief from the pain and misery, relief from the last uh, debacle. And one thing about this big book, and another thing about God, is you will not get relief. You're not going to get relief from this book, and you're not going to get relief from God. What you will be given is freedom, and that's a big difference between relief. Relief is me going to a meeting for now and getting some relief. I'm around AAs, I'm talking, having some coffee, and I kind of forget about my, my, my troubles out there, but then i got to go back out there. Wouldn't it be neat to come here, and not about me, but it's about helping others, and I don't have too much anguish out there. In fact, I'm pretty free out there, regardless how life is coming at us, because life will come at us. People will die, babies will be born, jobs will be given, jobs will be lost, money will come into plentiful and money will be scarce. Life happens, people get sick, it goes on and on and on. The people you don't like become rich and you become jealous. Right? The people you're in love with leave. And it goes on, life comes at us. And the other thing, civilians out there at the local store really don't care we're an AA when I have a bill to pay. American Express, I can't call them, listen, I'm a member of AA 26 years, can we skip the bill this month? It, it, life doesn't work that way. And employees just want you showing up giving a day's work. They don't care you got a five-year chip last night unless they're one of us. So life comes at us. How do we get through that? How do we navigate? Am I scratching and clawing and hanging in there a day at a time every day? That's bondage. Rather than just moving through life and embracing it, and everything becomes a get-to. And if I'm in a place of truly trusting and relying upon God, even through adversity, I learned to let go of the things I thought I needed to be happy. You can judge a man's wealth not by what he owns, but what he can live without. 
It's easy to be spiritual when you hit this little thing we did here and I make a couple of hundred dollars. Oh, God loves me, see? <laughs> well, the boss says, hey, you're a great worker. Here's a nice big bonus. I feel good. I'm great. I'm, I'm special. I got a pocket full of money. Ain't that great? Or she says, I love you so much. And, you, you, you know, you've been stalking her for six months. And she finally gives in and says, I love you, right? And um, it feels good. Uh, stalking her. Gentlemen, you know what I'm talking about. So things happen and we feel really good, but they, they, the, the things don't happen too. How, you know, how do I going to navigate through that? Trust and rely upon God. Whatever comes down the pike, and give all things the good, the good things credit to God. And I'll take the hits for the screw-ups. But somehow we know we're going to be able to get through. Everything's an opportunity for growth. No longer experiencing anger the way I used to. We get angry, yeah. So am I trying to get in here or trying to get out? Which one? Uh, I, I, I love sports. I'll watch my favorite team lose and I get angry. When the Yankees lose to the Red Sox, I become very unspiritual, right? Uh, um, things happen. You know, clients at work drive you up a wall. Sometimes you get angry. Um, but we're not living in an anger. The thing about anger, why it's so, so, so uh, uh, damaging, is because it insists that I'm right when I'm angry. It insists I'm right. And the more anger I, I start to experience, I become more right and you become more wrong. And I'm suddenly blocked from everyone, including God in a sense. So the thing about this step 10, it allows me to grow. It's my walking around, my gut check, my spot check for the day. Now, here's where some controversy might start. Um, I share my experience. I, got, I found myself in the middle of debates for time to time, and I stopped doing it. I've had some uh, uh, other people who speak, do workshops, you know, come right up to the podium and say, what do you mean? Uh, you, you can't talk like that, but I don't care. Um, some of us do step 10. We just do a spot check as we're walking around. Turn to God, call a sponsor, helpful to other people, make amends quickly. And it's kind of like that. I was brought up a little different. I was brought up that if I have a, a, a resentment at 9 a.m. or a fear at 9 a.m., I don't need to work, wait till tonight and do my nightly review. I'm addressing that right now. My first move is, Father, I have fear. I have resentment. I please remove this from me. Keep me safe and protected. It's not going. The reason why it's not going, because a defect of character, I don't want it to go. I'd like the, the effect produced by this resentment right now. I like the effect produced by this fear right now. You know why? Because I lured you into my little web, and I have, some, I have your attention. I have your sympathy. I like the effect produced by this defect. So I don't want to let it go. Which, another note, if you have defects you, that you, you, you feel you're stuck on, take a look at the you really want it to go. Same thing with the resentment. If I'm nursing a grudge for more than like a day, I have the problem here. I'm not willing to cut it loose. So what I've done, what I've learned to do is, as I'm going through my day and I have something going on, my first move is to God. If I own amends, I'll do it. But if I'm stuck, I'm going to put pen to paper and write inventory. And I'm not going to steal from my employer and take time off. I'm not going to be a machine operator and hold up the job so I have to run to my locker and write inventory. But at the moment of lunchtime, when I have about an hour to have lunch, I'll review my whole morning. Anything going on? Maybe nothing. Just keep moving. 
But I got something that's eaten my lunch. Well, I'm going to put it on paper after some prayer. And I'll discuss it with someone when I get a chance to. And if I have a chance to make a phone call to another drunk, I will. It says we discuss it with someone immediately. And what I've been doing for a long time is I work with a triangle. I have the sponsor at the top and have two other drunks on the bottom of the triangle. They're my immediately guys. I give them spiritual consent. They give me spiritual consent. So if you're my sponsor and I can't reach you, I'll call him is, hey, got immediately. You got some time. Go. Resentment, Joe, cause, blah, blah, blah. And I give him some inventory. He'll give me some feedback. It'll get a little bit clearer. And just in doing that, I'm getting unhooked from that thing. So I have an immediately crew. We've been doing it for a while. Sometimes I switch up. Because sometimes you can't get the sponsor. But the first move is always to the boss, God. And very often it just dissolves as it comes in. But, you know, sometimes you get those ones that are just not leaving. I had just the other day at work, I have a a, a guy at work, there's actually two of them, uh, but this one guy is just like the spearheading this this thing, Um, incredibly jealous of my very successful program. He's one of those guys who watches and finds the loophole and is on the attack. He's one of them. We all got one of those at work, you know, and... um, so the other day at work, he's, he's, he does some, I don't know what he does for him. I don't even know why to have him, but he's, there he is every day. And uh, you know, I, I don't know. Uh, I stay in my lane. And uh, something took place in one of, my, one of my, the guys in my program, and he had called me up. And he has no business calling me up. He's got to go to his boss. He forgot pecking order. And so he called me up, and he was just really angry and dropping F-bombs and all this other stuff. And I understand that. The guy's completely untreated. But I had the thing going on. How dare he question what I do for a living? How dare he question my... I took ownership of my program. And it was, it was brewing. The blood was boiling. So I said, okay... Okay, God, please free me of this. I made some prayer, and it was still there. I made prayer again, and it was still there. I'll tell you why it was still there. Because I wanted to call him back and, you know what I mean? And get some satisfaction. I wanted to turn into Dirty Harry, you know. You know. Uh, that life doesn't work that way. So I got a pen and paper and wrote the inventory. And as I'm writing, I said, okay, idiot. This is what you're wasting time over? Are you kidding me? But in the head, it looks really good. Um, I say, oh, you know when we have that resentment, we're plotting uh, uh, revenge, how good we are? We throw the perfect punch, they never get up. They say something, we have the perfect comeback. Right, we're just we're just loaded up in real life. On the ins on the outside, we're saying sure, absolutely. On the inside, we got all the right things to say. Life doesn't work the way we wanted to, and it's stuck. I'm stuck on this thing because I want I want to get my satisfaction. And so, what do I do? My sponsor didn't pick up the phone. I went to one of my immediately guys, and I shared the inventory with them. And as I'm sharing, and I'm going, I don't even believe I'm wasting time on this, but I had to do that. I had to do that. And then clarity comes where I realize, we'll call this guy Joe. Joe does this with just about everyone. And I realize he's totally under threat. He's completely untreated. People are getting well. Clients are coming in. He sees them getting well, and he's still stuck in his disease. Now I'm starting to have 
pity on this poor guy. And I don't want to have pity. I want to beat him up. (laughs) So that's what I do. What it's about to say here will usually uh, uh, ruffle feathers with folks who don't believe we can get uh, recovered. A young lady asked me a question before about recovery. It was a a fair question, and it was an honest question. She wanted to learn what this recovered means, and I had to share with her, does not mean cured? Just recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body, and recovered from the isms, which doesn't mean we're locked in. We can get unrecovered as well. But this is recovered, what they're about to talk about, and it says this, we cease fighting anything or anyone, dash... Almost an afterthought, oh, by the way, even booze. We come in here, take the booze away from me, and they're saying anything or anyone, even alcohol. Because now I have the living problem. And so my book promises me, the 10-step promises, that I've stopped fighting anything or anyone, even alcohol. It goes on to say this, for by this time sanity will have returned. Back in step two, I'm, I, I was given this deal that if I get to a certain point, the contract will be delivered. I'm looking for sanity to be restored. Back in step two, I do some work, chop wood, carry water, the ground gets fertile, and God does the growing. And here in step 10, they say, sanity's returned, wholeness of mind. When I have wholeness of mind, it means I'm right with God, which means the drink is not pulling on me anymore. I'm not running away from it. I'm not drawn to it. It says, I'll seldom be interested in liquor. If, if, tempted, I recoil from it as from a hot flame. If I react sanely and normally. Now watch this, it says, and we will find that this has happened automatically. I thought I had to drink the drink, drink, think the drink through, play the tape to the end, remember where I come from, watch out for people, place, and things, uh, keep it green, and it goes on and on and on, all from the mind. This book says this happens automatically. And we will see that this has happened automatically. We will see that my, our new attitude towards liquor has been given us without any thought, without any thought or effort on my part. It just comes, big exclamation. That is the miracle of it. I'm not fighting it, neither uh, uh, am I avoiding temptation. I feel as though I've been placed in a position of neutrality, safe and protected. I haven't even sworn the stuff off. Instead, the, the problem has been removed. It does not exist. I'm recovered. So, you can see when we're told it's normal to think about a drink because you're an alcoholic. Yeah, if you're untreated. My book just told me it doesn't even exist if I'm spiritually fit. This is freedom. This is not relief. Now, if I stop doing all the things I was doing, I start to get sick again. It would be like if I went to the gym and I'm completely out of shape and I'm working three, four times a week at the gym and I'm doing all these exercises and I'm starting to diet and eat healthy. In about six months or even a year, I'm gonna, my body's going to look different. I'm going to feel healthy. I'm going to be healthy. Okay, there I am, looking really good, feeling really good, stronger, etc. Now I start to eat unhealthy. Now I cut back on the gym workouts. In a year from now, I'm going to look like I need to get back to the gym. So the way we get recovered, we can get unrecovered. 
So it's constant vigilance each day. Each day, I chop wood and carry water. Water. Somebody's teasing me on how I speak. Water. Coffee. Okay. You guys talk funny. Okay. <laughs> By the time I leave here, I'm going to be saying about. All right? About. about. Uh, I thought it was a hit for a minute. I wasn't sure. Uh, now to some warnings. It's easy to let up on a spiritual program of action and rest on my accomplishments of yesterday. I'm headed for trouble if I do. For alcohol is sly, clever, devious, and difficult to detect and my personal enemy. That's subtle foe. I can't see it coming. It's an ambush. can't see it coming. And I drift, and I drift, and I drift, and then bang. Sly, clever, devious, and difficult to detect. I can't see my own ears. You can. You can't see your own ears. I can. The same thing with this illness. Can't see them. You don't know what's around. But things have gone south. Things have gone sideways. The wheels are coming off the bus. I'm starting to become irritable quickly. I'm starting to feel depression a lot. And it isn't clinical depression. It's situational depression. I run to a doctor. Doctor, I'm depressed. Back in the States, you get medication immediately. And now I'm going to get medication when really I need a spiritual fitness because I have nothing psychologically wrong. Uh, there's nothing clinically wrong with me. I'm just experiencing untreated alcoholism that's manifesting in a way that looks like depression. I see this all the time. So I run to my doctor. He starts medicating me. I start to feel a little bit better. I'm getting a mood stabilizer, an antidepressant, and I start to get the script filled over and over and over again. But I'm an alcoholic. I like the effect produced by this pill, so I take a few more. And I take a few more. Now I'm going to to different doctors to get more scripts and I'm drunk, I'm high I'm loaded, I'm not spiritually fit and you lose me this is what happens when we don't work with these principles, people like us drink, people like us find pills, people like us need something and life is not a get to anymore, life is a struggle it's painful, sobriety is a drag, sobriety is a problem the drink will call. doesn't care how long I'm sober. It's easy to let up on a spiritual program, rest of my accomplishments of yesterday. I'm headed for trouble if I do. It says, I'm not cured of alcohols, and what I have is a daily reprieve. Contingents hooked on how well I'm taking care of my spirit. Every day, not occasionally, when people are looking, every day is a day I must carry the vision of God's will into all my activities. There's a prayer. Father, show me how to carry the vision of your will into all my activities today. How can I best serve you, God? Your will, not mine, be done. It says we've begun to develop this vital sixth sense. We've begun to develop this vital sixth sense. Uh, I've always had a question about this, that we know we're born with five senses. How could you monitor the God in uh, someone? You can't. There's no graph. There's no test to do that. But if we're born with this God DNA, this Spirit of God, this thing that we have, we all of us have it, the God gene, for lack of a better term, is it possible that we're really born with six senses? One being that intuitiveness, that godliness in us, rather than worldliness we get caught up in, but that godliness, that spirit, that spark, the thing that shows up with hope, 
And all we do when we get out of the way through this work is discover it. It's been there all along. It isn't something we just create or happens to show up in a meeting. It's been there all along. It's just been covered with stuff, our stuff. So we know we can see, smell, touch, feel, whatever the other hear. That's very, that's tangible. How do you measure this God thing? So I've always held on to, we're probably come to this plant, we're born with this vital sixth sense. We just don't know what's there. But sometimes we just know how to do stuff, and we don't know how, we just, we just do it. Ask an artist, how do you paint? It's hard to explain technique. They just do it. They just, it, it, they do it. People make music. I don't know. It just, it, it just comes from this place. Right? You, you get a feeling, a thought, a, a movement inside of you to call somebody and it happens to be the right time. This is what they're talking about. You're sitting down with a drunk and you're going, what am I, how am I gonna, how am I gonna do this? Uh, you sit down and here come the words. You just know how to navigate. There's no manual really. You just know how to talk to this drunk. I mean, we take these principles out of this book, but now I'm, I'm, how do I do this? You just know. This vital sixth sense. And somehow I'm able, we're able to love people unconditionally instead of loving you on conditions. I love you unconditionally on the condition you meet all my conditions. That's called marriage, by the way. <laughs> That's a joke. All the guys went right and the, the wives just hit him in the eye. Don't listen to him. So I'm working with this 10-step, and my book says there's more action needed. And then we get the 11-step, which is really neat because we get to grow, really grow here. And we get lots of latitude in the 11-step because they're talking about meditation, prayers that are personal to us. They encourage us to read inspirational books. Be quick to see where religious people are right. Make use of what they offer. Return to our religious communities. Work with other inspirational books. They encourage us to go out. Seek. And they don't say, if you're doing it this way, you're wrong. If you're doing it that way, you're right. Just it's your God. It's a personal affair with God. And so I was very interested in this meditation. I'll tell you what happened to me. I was doing a deal. I think it was in Louisiana. And I was the Sunday morning speaker, and they asked me to do 10 and 11 on Saturday around 6 o'clock or something. And um, I get done. I'm talking a whole bunch. God had me talk a whole bunch about meditation. And this guy makes a beeline for the back of the room when I got done. And he said, I need to talk to you. You talked about meditation. That's all Eastern philosophy you're talking about. No one in the book doesn't say this. He went on and on and on. It just, just went up one side, down the other. I mean, I said, thanks for sharing, which frustrated him even more. And he, stood, he walked away in a huff. Well, the next morning I did my, my uh, 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 talk on Sunday morning, and here he comes again. He's making his way to the, to the front of the podium, and he gets in front of me. Sky talked to I said, yeah, he said, can you sponsor me? <laughs> That's a true story. And what I tried to share with him was, this is an entirely personal affair when it comes to prayer and meditation. A book has given us clear outlines, some, some instructions on how to do this. But when I meet God, it's me and God. The book points me. The book is the menu. I follow directions and I, and, and I order, if you want, I get full. But I can't worship the book. 
I need to worship God. The book is a vehicle to take me to that power called God. And now I'm in. Now I'm in. It's just me and this power. And that can be incredibly unsettling for some of us because I'm walking a path I never walked before. I'm experiencing God I never experienced before. And here I am. Now what? And very often we think prayer is going to be, you know, uh, this enlightenment every time we pray. And I'm going to be uplifted every time we pray. And very often we're standing before, I'm standing before my Creator in the raw. I'm giving my attention, but I have no idea where He's going to send me that day. I'm showing, hey boss, I'm here to work. He's going to send me. I don't know where He's sending me. And sometimes in prayer we find out that it's, it, it almost feels like there's no one there. If we go into this place, it, is there really a God? Is anyone really listening to me it's my commitment to know my God that allows things to come to fruition that things allow my life to flourish it's the chopping wood and carrying water and very often folks are discouraged they get into this prayer meditation after you know a few attempts well nothing happened I love gardening. I don't do any in Florida, but when I was in Jersey, I would, I would, I used to love planting flowers and vegetables. I really get my hands in the dirt. I love it. When the spring is coming in and the ground is getting, you know, soft, and I would plow and I would dig these holes and do all the planting and watering it down and fertilizing. And for the first month, you're saying, what a mess. There's nothing. I worked so hard, I broke the hard dirt, and you know, you know, you do all this stuff, and there's nothing. It looks like nothing. I don't feel anything. There's no reward. And then one morning I walk out, my first cup of coffee, and as the first bud pops up, not pot, bud, flower bud. And then they start to grow. And then in a few weeks, you got this thing. It didn't look that way when I was plowing the field. Prayer can be that way sometimes. Where am I going in here? Some of us even experience, I'm one of them, something called dark night of the soul. This is a very unsettling place to be, but I looked at it as a gift from God. This is where everything, after being in here for a while, is complete. You're stripped down once again, and you're not asking for it. Where the block I walk down suddenly feels foreign. My home group, everything is foreign. My God feels foreign. Who I am feels foreign. I don't know where I'm I'm feeling like I lost my way. Everything gets challenged, but we keep chopping wood and carrying wood and surrendering to God. It's a real big pruning that goes on, but it's frightening while we're in there. It feels as if we've been removed from everything and everything's gone dark. Am I a journeyman now? And we feel, I've really felt stripped down and in the raw before God. I got nothing, no armor. What happens on the, 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 the back end of that is nourishment, God nourishment, fulfillment, connectedness, no more separateness. We go in, and there's a squeezing that goes on. Everything that we think we are about life gets removed. Everything feels different. Wondering, where am I going with this? And we come out on the other end, pristine in a sense, spiritually. And all I have to do is nourish that. 
Overall, prayer is a wonderful thing. It's part of our 11th step, and I don't get why we pray on the way to work. I mean, I pray to God. I talk to God while I'm driving. It's a dialogue conversation with God. Conscious contact, constant contact with God. I'm always talking to God. I like that. I like the effect produced by God. I drive with God. I get dressed with God. I go into my closet. Okay, God, what are we going to wear? Okay, God, let's get to this meeting. Okay, God, what should we do now? I, this is what I do. People think I'm talking to myself. And I literally mean that. Open up my closet. I got to talk to do. Okay, God, what are we going to wear tonight? I mean, it's gotten like that for me. It's just, just the way I operate. Constant contact with God. Prayer is a beautiful thing. We get to dialogue with our Creator. And He's listening. Sometimes He says yes. Sometimes He says no. And I'm sure sometimes He says, are you kidding me? But, you know. My God's from Brooklyn. He sounds that way once in a while. Forget about it. <laughs> but what an intimate step. What an intimate moment to be able to suit my God. So I don't, I don't pray on the way to work. I don't pray in the shower. I talk to God all day long. My prayer is a sacred movement. So on awakening, on awakening, I open my eyes and I thank God for another day. I have some talk with God and I go hit the mat. And then I pray. And there's some prayers I shared with you guys on Friday that I offered to God. But there's some things I need to talk to God about. The shadow side of the soul, the dark part. Father, please shed light on what I'm unaware of. Maybe we're struggling with personal relationships. We don't know why. Done inventory after inventory, don't know why. Maybe I'm still in fear about money. I don't know why I have money. I'm not experiencing financial security. I'm always insecure and I have oodles of money. I have a good job. Why am I worried about losing it? I have a good relationship. Why do I think she's going to up and leave any minute? What's going on? Father, please reveal light to this darkness I can't see. And please heal me from it. Because you're the only one who can heal. You're the master healer. I don't know how to do this. Sometimes we just go to God and say, God, just show me what to do right now. I don't know what to do about this. God loves my surrender. God loves me offering my shortcomings. God loves when I go to Him for forgiveness. And what I've been taught and what I've come to experience is it's a gift I can give to God, give God back my brokenness. Did you ever try to teach someone who's always going, yeah, I know, I know, I know. Yeah, I know. Do you ever sponsor someone like that? That relationship lasts one session. Yeah, I know, I know, I know, I know. Why would I go to God and say, I know, I got it. He's going, no, you don't. <laughs> no, you don't have a clue. So I offer that stuff. God, please show me what to do. Now, my meditation experience from when I first started has changed, obviously. A big change from when I came into Alcoholics Anonymous, when I was put on a two-minute timer and it felt like eternity. And all I was doing was listening to the traffic in the head. We have the noise in the head. There's always noise in the head. And what I try to do is fight off the noise in the head. And I was told, do not resist. Just recognize it and come back to breath. And two minutes became five minutes, became ten minutes, and so on and so forth. And I have a life of meditation now. That place of silence is where we all come from and where we will return to. And we can't create that which already exists. See, it's there. You hear it? The sounds of silence. 
That's how it is all, all the time. We break that by talking or listening to the noise in the head. So we get to return to that. And what I found as a, well, having a life of meditation, it helps me navigate through the day. I'm not a ball in a pinball machine ricocheting off of everything, looking for approval, getting angry when I don't, and I'm just at the end of the day, I'm exhausted for no reason. And I'm not in a struggle, I'm not fighting. Because like with that guy at work, if I would did what my mind wanted me to do, then I'm just as guilty of what I'm accusing him of. I meet resistance with no resistance. Sometimes I need help from another drunk to do that. Sometimes it just comes easily. But I meet the resistance with no resistance. Whether it's AAs or, or people, civilians, meet resistance with no resistance. God knows what's best. Right? Being quick to hear and slow to speak, there's a challenge. Hmm? I'm practicing pause when I'm doubtful and agitated. It's easy to seek uh, uh, vengeance on somebody who hurts me, but that's not spiritual living, and I can't excuse that. No resentment's acceptable. All resentments are unacceptable. And behind that is fear. I'm claiming to be spiritual. Why am I back against the wall right now? What did I do? What's wrong with my spiritual condition at this moment? So I chop wood and carry water and work with this stuff. And um, as I go through my day, if I struggle, I'll write an inventory and it comes time for the evening. My nightly review takes just a few minutes. It's my net for the day, anything I missed, anything that I'm worried about, anything I'm fearful about or some resentments. I write some inventory and I share it with my sponsor. And I close my day with prayer meditation. And usually at night I like to do some reading. I, I have a, a prayer room, or a makeshift office in my home, and it's uh, or, or it's like the little AA prayer room. And um, I just where my mat is and my uh, uh, my altar. And I love reading. I love gobbling up information and, and, and listening to folks speak. And uh, outside of AA, I have some heroes that I love listening to. And... Um, I'll do my prayer, I'll do my meditation after the inventory, and my day's closed. When I retire at night, it can be 7 o'clock at night. It doesn't have to be 11 o'clock or 11.30, right? And sometimes it is that late, get home from a meeting or something. But I do this 11-step of prayer and meditation, and um, I, I, I don't wake up on Tuesday morning with a hangover from Monday, emotional hangover. I keep it clean. Am I free from struggle? No, sometimes I get it when I get my own way. Or when someone does something that I feel is inappropriate and I want to, get, I want to straighten it out, uh, God will straighten it out. Before I find fault in you, I need to take my own inventory. Or as another man said, before I take the speck out of your eye, I better take the beam out of mine first, huh? Oh, it's easy to point fingers and then claim to be spiritual. There's a narrow road. Hmm? Um, how free do I want to be? Do I really want to carry a vision of God's will into all my activities? Um, to me, um, this for me is AA. What goes on in 10-11? We do a lot of 12-step work, but because of 10-11, I can be effective in 12-step work. 
We take drunks in here, banged up and brutal. The reason why we get to work with drunks and give them and nourish them and help them is because of the work, the spiritual muscles we're getting in 1011. We do for fun and for free. We're not looking for applause. We do it from an altruistic place. This is all God's work. This is the greatest spiritual movement. The interesting thing about Alcoholics Anonymous, you call up your doctor, flu, uh, sore throat, you usually get the receptionist. You're not getting your doctor on the phone. He's been your doctor for the last 20 years. You're really going to get him on the phone. You get the receptionist. They give you an appointment. I'm sick. I got the flu. Can I get in there? He's booked. We'll see you next week. They try to sque- they'll try to squeeze you in, right? You call up your hairdresser. I need to get a haircut. They'll look on the book, and they'll get you in when they can, unless it's your local barber where you can wait. You call up your dentist. Well, he's booked. He's on vacation. Right? This is how the world operates. Call up a drunk, an AA member, and say, I need to see you. I'm in trouble. You know what your answer is? I'm on my way, and I'm bringing a few with me. And we drop what we're doing. Honey, you got to go. Drunk's in trouble. This is Alcoholics Anonymous. This is coming from one place. This is coming from God. And we're not doing it to get applause. We're not going to get paid cleaning up that drunk. We're not going to get anything other than another day's sobriety and some more spiritual muscles. We will get fed. And for so long I was looking to get fed out there and going down a lot of dark alleyways to feel fed. And I come into Alcoholics Anonymous, they say, go work with a drunk. Carry the vision of God's will into our activities. Get a relationship with God because you don't have one. And I get fed. I go home full all the time. Hmm? Relationship with God. Relationship. If I'm in a relationship with someone, it means I'm being intimate with them. I'm sharing with them. We talk, we do things together, we converse, we support each other. So if I just met you and I said hi and goodbye, I don't even know your name. We don't have a relationship. I see that the next meeting I introduce myself. You introduce yourself to me. Now we know each other's names, but that's about it. There's a guy in AA, no, nice guy, that's it. Nice, keep seeing you. We start to talk a little bit. And we find we have some things in common. And then I unload some things and you unload some things. And we go to the diner, we break some bread. And I see another meeting. And we start to get close. Now you're my friend. Now I go hear you speak, you come hear me speak, I invite you to my home. We, we ha- I have a friendship, I have a relationship with this man. Same thing with the opposite sex. We have a re- It's a big difference than just an acquaintance. We need to have, I need to have a relationship with God, which means I'm unloading everything, and I'm listening, and I'm sharing, and I'm doing what he asked me to do. This is a relationship, huh? It's not one-sided. I get to experience that in Alcoholics Anonymous. And what, what the, the, the neat thing is, I get to experience God not in sitting there oming for an hour. I can. Going to my church is a wonderful thing. House full of angels. And I get to give worship. But I can do it when I'm cleaning up a drunk. I can do it when, we, when we're taking our children to school. We can do it when we're preparing dinner. We can do it when we're doing our laundry. You know you've gotten well when on Saturday night you're doing laundry, and that's really cool. <laughs> I've done it. I was a bachelor for a while, right? There's nothing wrong. My mind was saying, look at you, doing laundry on a Saturday. You should be ripping a town up right now. No, I kind of dug it. 
I know what it's like to have be in the same clothes for day after day. I fold my laundry in, in my house and everything's cool. The house is safe. The rent is paid. The food in the refrigerator. My belly's full. I got God. I'm a member of Alcoholics Anonymous. There's God. Very tangible. Very real. Right? I don't get how some of us can just come to meetings and go home. Not drink go to meetings. But we're missing. We're missing the banquet. We're starving to death. God says, here's a banquet with every beverage except booze on the table. And we take a potato chip and go home and say, that place don't work. And we starve to death, right? So I'm very grateful for what I've been given here uh, with this uh, 10 and 11. I've worked with so many books, um, and, and the traditions don't allow me to endorse those books from this podium. If anyone wants to know, you can email me. I'll tell you some really life-changing books that have helped me so much, and uh, some folks I've studied uh, and watched outside of Alcoholics Anonymous. I am still very much attracted to the men and women on this path who li- their life revolves around God whether they're religious or not. Like the whole life is around God, uh, spiritual men and women, the giants and alcoholics synonymous. I'm sober a few years, but I still have my heroes. Uh, a lot of them are outside of Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, a handful are in Alcoholics Anonymous. And uh, for me, it's not about getting to this podium and, you know, pointing my finger and, and go get them. And, and uh, uh, it's us against them and those people who don't do the big book. To, you know, should be cast out. It, that's not what this is about, man. This is about love and tolerance and bringing people in, attraction, not promotion. Uh, I'll share one story. Um, I was in uh, the Midwest uh, for a, a talk, and um, my speaker host wanted, he said, I wanted to be the speaker host. I wanted to meet you. I've listened to you, and, and went on and on and on. And he seemed like a pretty cool guy for a few minutes. And then this is what started. You know, around here, these people, those people, they're not in the book. Those people. Those people. He was ang- Here's a guy who's claiming to be in the book and was angrier than you could imagine at those people who weren't in the book. I listened to this Friday and Saturday and on the way back to the airport. It was him against the world of AA. And I asked him, would you give me spiritual consent? He said, of course I would. I said, I'm going to tell you some things. You don't have to listen to them, but you're not going to like them. And I confronted him on his anger and us against them. I said, where is God in any of that equation? You got this book and you're beating people up with it rather than having this book in your hand and walking softly. And being a power of example and an attraction, you have no God in any of your stuff. You got this information and are beating people up with it. You're not going to get anyone. He listened. He took it, but he wasn't happy about it. About a month later, he told me he was going to do this workshop. And uh, I discouraged him, and I said, you better talk to your sponsor about this, because I knew what this workshop was going to look like. As it turned out, a handful of people showed up and walked out on him, too. I can only imagine what this guy was saying from the podium. That's not God. Hmm? So for new folks who are getting lathered up with this book and getting excited about this book, that's great. But we never use this information against anyone. It's about offering an olive branch to those who are sick and suffering and bringing them on board. This is really God's work that we get to do. If I'm coming from a place of stillness, I'll be able to hear that. The thing about this work, it allows me to hear 
with God's ears and see with God's eyes. And with meditation, I'm able to go into darkness to see and silence to hear. And we get well. When I say strong, I don't mean strength, but spiritually fit. Because some of us have been able to overcome incredible adversity sober in AA. And get all credit credit to God. So I love my uh, 10 and 11 uh, step. uh, That plaque, by the way, you gave me uh, my favorite chapter in the whole book is A Vision for You. And uh, I'll, I'll close this with, with, with a quick story about a vision for you. Um, I was living in Minnesota, and um, I did a halfway three-quarter in sober house, and a gentleman said, uh, why don't you come to my house? Me and my sister own this house. We're never home. You can have the back room until you kind of get on your feet financially, etc." And I thanked him for it. He was a teacher for me, helped me with AA a whole bunch, and uh, <clears throat> he turned me on to two guys named Joe and Charlie who I never knew existed. I didn't even know there was tapes in AA. That's how new I was. He said, you might like these guys. Their name is Joe and Charlie. Put it in. I put on the headphones. New people. We had cassette tapes, not CDs back then, right? <laughs> how many people remember the big A-track things, the big thing you shove in the car, right? Three tapes were this big, right? And uh, I'm listening to these guys talk. And so it was pretty cool, but... Uh, I was starting to miss home a lot. And it was like springtime back home. And in Minnesota, it was still like 100 feet of snow. It looked like this in April. You know, I was like, enough. And um, I was between jobs. And I, I, you know, I was doing all these little sober jobs. And money's low. And I'm just, it's on me. And the room was kind of closing in. I was getting almost claustrophobic. I don't have enough money. The meeting is until tonight. I don't have a car. It's on the other side of town. Suddenly, I don't want to call these people to come get me. And all, it was on me. And I remember what they told me. Pray. Read the book and go to a meeting. So I opened up the book. And wherever I opened up to, that's where I would read. I would read and it was chapter to um, um, Vision for You. And I went to the beginning. And by by the time I got to that famous page 164, I was weeping, and I felt safe. I was given hope. I turned to God. He will nourish the soul. And I felt as if the founding members, here's my sponsor, by the way. This guy right here is my sponsor. (laughs) The founding members were by my bedside, and I was safe and protected. I am in love with this little boy. He made my weekend. Um, Got God written all over him. How cool. So uh, that's what we get to do, and that's what I got to do. So I'll see you guys in the morning. That's all I got. Peace.